before we move on, ESPN in partnership with Peyton Manning's Omaha Productions presents Against All Odds with Cousin Sal. Jimmy Kimmel Live personality Cousin Sal and his three childhood friends lovingly known as the Degenerate Trifecta break down the biggest gambling events of the week in their top picks for games. That's Against All Odds with Cousin Sal. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, guys? Welcome to a brand new episode of DC and RC. I'm Daniel Cormier. That's my boy, Ryan Clark. RC, how you doing, my brother? Good, brother. How are you, man? Before the show, you was eating some crackers. I saw you was a little famished over there, so I hope you're good over there in your polo. (laughs) Yeah, I I had to... I had to kind of, my, my blood sugar was low. I had to get something <laughs> in me. You sound like the you old people. I, I have, I have, my I blood sugar low. <laughs> RC, coming up on the show, we go head first into UFC 280 in Abu Dhabi. We also tap in and we tap out. But RC, bro, last night, you would not believe what I did. So, out of my gym, I do this thing called the Alter Program, right? It's a warrior program where we take normal people and we teach them to fight. We take them for 20 weeks, RC. Seriously. Okay. Dads, mothers, grandmothers. It doesn't matter what you do. You can fight. Ryan, we had the finale last night. And my guys, we went two and three. We lost three fights, one, two. But, bro, <laughs> one of my guys owns a construction company. He fights a guy that's a software engineer from the Bay Area. And they fought like a tough man contest. Ryan, battered and bruised. It was the most amazing thing I've ever <laughs> seen in my entire life. No, they just, imagine this, imagine this. Like, people fighting is crazy enough. Imagine fighting and only having 20 weeks of training to go out bro. there and fight somebody. It was amazing, dog. DC, how long do they fight for, bro? Like, what, what are the rounds? How many rounds do you guys have? <laughs> like, because I already know, bro, like, I can't do nothing for three minutes or five minutes, right? Like, I can't do it. So <laughs> to fight that long? How long are they fighting? RC, three two-minute rounds. But, like, everybody's exhausted by, like, the end of round one. Like, so that's when it turns into complete mayhem. It turns into complete mayhem. But, like, I've got – I had this one dad on my team that sons wrestle for me. And, bro, like, it's funny to watch the fight happen. But it's in the lesson, RC, because when we walked out, his two kids, right? He's got a six-year-old and he's got a a senior in high school – Right. I almost started crying for the dude because he's he's showing his sons that anything is possible. He's the, right. he's like he runs a, a department at the hospital. Like he's like <laughs> out there fighting with mixed martial arts gloves. Right. Bro, it was the most amazing thing. That's dope. Just to watch these normal people go fight RC RC. So essentially, I want to tell you the story because if you want to fight, it, it, Ryan, if Ryan, listen, Ryan, listen, if you want to fight. <laughs> No interest. Go enjoy it. Ryan, listen, dog, just please. 20 weeks, you are going to be in better shape than the guy you're going to be matched up with. They're going to find you a 43 to 50-year-old to fight with three two-minute rounds. Ryan, go do it. Go do DC, it, bro. DC, Come on. DC, my luck, bro. I'm going to get some former college wrestler who was super smart and started his own business, right? You know what I'm saying? He's going to be 44. The fight's going to start. He's going to take me down immediately. And, dog, I got too many I got too many shows to do, too many dang jobs to be walking around with a dislocated shoulder. I'm not doing it. I'm not Tony Ferguson. I'm tapping right away. I'm not going to sit there and let you just yank on my arm and do all 
all that stuff. So I think it's better for me, DC, to sit on this side and talk with you about the people that are inside the octagon, not trying to get in there myself, man. And let's get to 280 before yeah, you try to get me on something else. Or let's talk about Alexa, whatever we're going to do, because we don't need to talk yeah, about yeah, this yeah, no yeah, more. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I got to get back on track. I got to get back on track. I'm trying to get you to fight. But the reality <laughs> is you're already accepted in the MMA community, so you don't need a fight. But hats off to those guys last night that competed. RC, going back to last weekend, Saturday night, high-level fighters fought in the Apex mm -hmm. as Alexa Grasso beat Viriani Araujo. But it's not in the performance, right? Because Alexa Grasso is a tremendous fighter. She yep. can box. She's really good at what she does. Since going up to 125, she has been tremendous. And she is now showing that she is a true contender. Four straight wins, all generally up at 125 pounds. But that leads because when you have a dominant champion like Valentina Shevchenko, it really ain't about what you're doing until you become can you fight or give Valentina a challenge. So even though Alexa won last weekend, the immediate aftermath, the question becomes, is this the next person to fight Valentina? And if that's the case, what chances do you give her with her, with her style of fighting? I mean, you hear her say, she's saying, like, I wish I could have another main event with one of the other girls. I would like uh, to test myself against somebody for 25 minutes before that fight. But if I have to go for the belt, then I would do it. I think... Everybody understands who Valentina Shevchenko is. And we go back to the last fight where I think it was, was it Talia Santos, uh, DC? Where Yeah, Talia you know, Santos. Yeah, yeah, well, we saw Valentina Shevchenko in trouble for the first time against anybody not named Amanda Nunes. And when you're watching that, you're like, oh, is this about to happen? And then... You know, that fight goes Valentina Shevchenko's way, and some people think that Santos may have won that fight. And so now you're figuring out, is it a style that you have to have in order to beat Valentina Shevchenko? Because mm -hmm. we know Amanda Nunes, we consider her the MMA GOAT as far as it goes for females. But can Alexa Grasso continue to build her game, right? Continue to build her striking, understand her ground game a little more and compete with Valentina Shevchenko. I don't believe she's ready now, DC. I believe if we make this fight now, she is dominated. She hasn't lost since fighting Carla Esparza, but that doesn't mean she's ready to step up to the level of competition that Valentina Shevchenko presents. You know, Ryan, I think, I think one of the truest things you said was round out the game. Because Tyler Santos did present problems. But Tyler Santos is huge. Yeah. And she wrestled the entire time. Yes. Alexa is just a top-notch boxer. Right. I don't know if she possesses the ground skills to do what Tyler did against Valentina. But here's what I love about Alexa Grasso. Is it seems like she understands that right now is not the time. It's very yeah. hard yeah. for fighters to really recognize, maybe not quite yet. She goes, let me get another 25-minute fight because if you know Valentina, the fights are long. Let me fight somebody else. Let me get more experience. And I believe because of the Tyler Santos fight, because of the way Santos fight the first time, she will get a rematch, and Alexa Grasso will get the opportunity to go out there and fight again and try to improve herself to the point that she can compete against what is... 1B and Valentina yeah. Shevchenko because if Amanda's 1A, Valentina's 1B. So it's a tough hill to climb. And for Alexa Grasso, there might be a little more work that needs to be done before we lock her in the octagon, one of the greatest fighters of all time. You know what, DC, though? I think that's the type of awareness that you need. 
right? Because you never know how many opportunities you're going to get or how many shots you can get at the belt. And if you are in that position and you totally bomb and it's not even a competitive fight, then the, the fans, the executives of the UFC won't necessarily be clamoring for you to get that opportunity again, especially when it's against such a dominant a historically great fighter like Valentina Shevchenko. But speaking of dominance, there's been no fighter that's been more dominant recently than Charles Oliveira. And he's fighting your boy. In your eyes. He's fighting. In your, your eyes. He's, he's fighting your boy, Islam Makhachev. DC, we have been waiting on this fight. We understand the type of opposition that Islam Makhachev presents for Charles Oliveira, but also the way that Charles Oliveira styles and his techniques and the way that he's constantly pressuring, can't put pressure on Islam Makhachev. When you think about this fight, you had it ranked as the number one fight for the rest of the season, for the rest of the year, the fight that you were looking the most forward to how excited are you to get to Abu Dhabi and get an opportunity to finally see this fight take place? I'm so excited about, about the fight, but the reality is, and something just popped into my head, is like part of the reason everybody thinks I'm biased is because of you, because you planted in people's mind, like I favor Islam Makashev or someone else, when in reality, I always am right down the middle in regards to how I break him down. But this to me is the greatest fight if UFC can put on for the rest of the year, RC, because I believe it's the most competitive fight that the UFC can put on for the rest of the year. Because I do believe that Dubronx has the style and the ability to fight and beat Islam Makhachev. I've always said that. But it's almost like people want me to go and kind of crap on my friend. I'm not going to crap on my friend to make people feel better. I believe and I'm confident that he can win the fight and become the champion. But I do recognize that this is by far the most difficult challenge that Islam Makhachev has ever had in his entire UFC career. And I'm not talking about just recently. Charles Oliveira, in the way that he is fighting right now, is as dangerous as anyone in the entire UFC. That's why this fight is so good, because for the first time in a long time, you feel like the guy that Islam's fighting has an actual chance to beat him, R.C., DC, you know what I'm you know what I'm looking forward to seeing is the one thing that we know. Um, here's Habib Nurmagomedov speaking about Islam. Islam is at his peak. I think that Islam is better overall. Of course, there are some potential dangers that we are working on where he needs to be careful. He's like, other than that, it should it should roll over. It should be like when you think about how confident everyone on Islam Makhachev's side is. Islam is confident. Obviously, yeah. Habib Nurmagomedov, one of the greatest of all time, is confident. You're confident in his skills. I think sometimes that is misplaced, or we put that above how confident Charles Oliveira should be. When you think about mm -hmm. what Charles Oliveira mm -hmm. has been through recently in his fighting career and the type of opposition that he's faced. He's been to the deep water, DC. We've seen Charles Oliveira knocked down to the mat. We've seen him against Justin Gaethje. You've seen him against Dustin Poirier. We've watched him, Poirier, watched him come through the adversity of his career and also the adversity on the single night inside the octagon and have his hand raised at the end of the fight. And so when I see that, I think to myself, when have I seen Islam Makachev be in that position? So I'm confident that if Islam creates this, this, this adversity, if Islam wins a round or if he dominates Charles on the mat for a little while in, in the grappling, in the grappling uh, match, that 
Charles Oliveira can rebound. I don't necessarily know if Islam Makachev can rebound. I haven't seen that from him, DC. I haven't seen that mm -hmm. recently because he's been so dominant. But when you think about what Charles Oliveira has accomplished, especially recently, how in the world is Islam Makachev a two-to-one favorite? You know, Ryan, I think that's fair. That's a very fair assessment. Like, you know and you've seen Dubronx overcome adversity and just essentially reset, right? Because Michael Chandler yeah. beat him pretty good in round one of their first yeah, of their fight. I, think, I forgot about he that. He just one. reset. Yeah. We haven't really had we haven't really had to see Islam do that. The reality is this though. He's favored that much because of what he has shown. And looking at the history of the fighters, it would seem as though his top pressure would nullify what Dubronx does off of his back. But what we know, he is the most prolific finisher in UFC history, especially with submissions. No one has done it more than Charles Oliveira. Charles Oliveira believes that he's going to win this fight. Charles Oliveira feels like he is the favorite to, and I, I kind of hate this because we have to keep going, regain his championship when he never should have lost his championship on the scale for 0.2 pounds. But he feels he's going to regain his title this weekend in Abu Dhabi. But to me, I think, the greatest asset of Oliveira is the confidence to go there. Yeah. To go fight in Abu Dhabi. To be in a place which is essentially Islam's backyard, right? It's a massive uh, Muslim community. They're supportive of the Russian fighters. They're all of that religion. But they are treating Charles like a king. Because, dude, the people in Abu Dhabi, RC, are the nicest human beings on the planet. But I believe that the matchup, man, is why this fight makes me so excited. And I can't wait to travel across the the world to go see it. Or see, I don't want to go nowhere. I'd rather just stay <laughs> at my house, but I'm going 18 hours to Abu Dhabi to watch this one, and I can't wait. <laughs> Listen, that's going to be an 18-hour trip that I think is going to be well worth it. Uh, DC, just watching you on detail, listening to you during the fights, man, like you understand the techniques and the things that these fighters are thinking sometimes before we even see those things play out in the octagon. When you look at these the, the styles of these two fighters and where they want this fight to take place, who do you think is able to impose their will the most and get the fight where they want it? And where is that going to be? Does this become a grappling match? Is it a striking match? I guess essentially, where mm -hmm. does this fight take place? I think, I think they're pretty evenly matched all around, if I'm being completely honest with you. But if there's any dominance, it would be Makachev on top of Charles Oliveira. Right. Just... Not necessarily putting out a lot of damage on him, but nullifying him, keeping Trolling. him still. Mm -hmm. And just as, yes, as time passes, Makashev takes him down. He's able to defend submissions and just kind of get ground and pound off where he can. I don't see a world in which Oliveira's on top with his jiu-jitsu skills. That for Islam is, is worst case scenario. But if this fight is spent for an extended time on the feet, I favor Oliveira. If the fight is spent on the ground with Oliveira on his back, I favor Makashev. So there's areas where both guys can win. But I feel like if Oliveira doesn't catch him in a submission on the way down, it's going to be very hard to break the base and the posture of Makashev. But as Oliveira has shown time and time again, he has that ability to catch you whenever you think you're safe. Yeah, I think, you know, when you look at this fight, this is, at least stylistically and also from a dominant standpoint, 
the only fight you can make in this weight class right now that would excite everyone the way that this fight is. And so I'm excited to see which one of these men walk out victorious and walk out as the champion. Another championship. You got something, DC? Yeah, RC, because let me ask you this, right? We love lightweight. You and I mm -hmm. both are massive fans yeah. of lightweight. But these two guys, right, who in the, who in the division would you favor over either? Right? You can only favor them over each other. There yeah. isn't any other guy that we could look back and go, well, I'd favor Benil Daryush over Charles Oliveira because you wouldn't. I'd favor Justin Gaethje over Islam because you wouldn't. These right. are the two best. It's like there's nobody else in the division that we would say, I think he would beat him, so he deserves to be in this title fight. These are the two best lightweights in the world, and that is why we're so excited. And for all that you're doing, I know that you're glued to the TV on Saturday oh. night watching this main event. Hey, listen, I'm locked in. Listen, uh, Jordan's playing in Stanford. <laughs> we can't go because it's Logan's homecoming. So I'm going to be sitting at home, man, tapped in to this the whole time. And I think you, the, the point you made, though, is these are the two best lightweights in the world, and we wouldn't favor anyone over them. But here's what I think about it. I wouldn't favor anybody over Charles Oliveira because I feel like I've seen him fight the best. Islam yep. Makachev yep. hasn't necessarily had that type of opponents in his life. This is going to be his first time, to me, stepping up to this level, and you want to see how he handles that. Another championship fight that we have on the card is going to be Aljamain Sterling versus TJ Dillashaw. Obviously, TJ Dillashaw has held the strap two times. Aljamain Sterling, a very dominant win over Piotr Jan, who seemed unstoppable, at least up until that fight. When you look at this fight and you look at the opportunity of TJ Dillashaw to become a dude that's a three-time champ in probably D.C., one of the, if not as talented as lightweight, one of the few uh, weight classes that's at least close, but it definitely has the bigger names. When you look at this fight, how do you see it playing out? And does Aljamain, how does Aljamain Sterling hold off TJ Dillashaw, especially with his explosiveness early on in the fight? It's crazy, man. A three-time champion. I mean, it's hard enough to become a UFC champion one time. This guy is like, this guy's trying to become a three-time champion. But when you look at Aljo, what he has done since he started to ascend the rankings, he's won seven in a row. The only guy that's won as many is Marab Dualishvili, who is his teammate and said he will not fight Aljo. TJ Dillashaw is right there at number five. Look, when you look at the champ, the champ showed in the Piotr Jan fight that he can impose himself on a guy that, you know, RC, don't get it, he, he don't get impressive. imposed on. <laughs> No, hey. no, he doesn't. Yeah. But what was most impressive was that he turned that around after what Piotr did to him the first time. Piotr Jan embarrassed him that first time. When he right. when he got kneed on the ground and he won the championship in that way, Aljamain Sterling got embarrassed, bro. He was getting taken down. Right. He was getting beat. It looked like he was about to get finished. He flipped that result in a very short period of time. One fight. It wasn't like he went and fought somebody else, gained his confidence. Right. He went right back in there with the same guy that beat him in those ways and believed that the bad weight cut and everything else was such a factor that that's why he looked in the, the way that he did. Won the first three rounds of the next fight and then ended up retaining his championship. The guy is amazing. He has tremendous skills, and the way that he can grapple with these guys because he's so long is a real problem. So if Aljamain Sterling can make this fight take place on the ground, he has a very clear path to victory over TJ Dillashaw. But as you saw in the Sanhagen fight, a return to Dillashaw looked as good as he ever looked. 
Now, he really did. And the Corey Sanhagen fight was one of those fights where we had to watch TJ Dillashaw really dive into the championship spirit. You mentioned Aljamain Sterling, and if he gets this fight to the ground, that's his, that's his way or that's his avenue to winning. TJ Dillashaw, and listen, before we started this show, bro, I asked you, could you sing? And you said, dog, when have you ever asked me, can I do anything? Yeah, yeah. And I wasn't the best in the world in it. And that's actually true. But also, like, that's a that's a characteristic of a lot of championship athletes or a lot of high-level mm -hmm. professional yep. athletes. TJ Dillashaw has mentioned he wants to wrestle Aljermaine Sterling. And when you think about him saying, this is the place I want to meet Aljermaine Sterling, this is the place I think I can win, is that the actual, is that actually the smart smartest tactic or avenue to a win for TJ Dillashaw? You know, for TJ to say that, I think TJ is calling back to his days of wrestling. So Dillashaw on paper did more in wrestling than Aljamain Sterling. Yes. But what I will say is Aljamain Sterling has been able to apply the wrestling in mixed martial arts a little better. Yes. So for him to say, I want to go take this guy down, that's almost saying our best skill, both of us, I feel like I'm better, so I'm going to go show that. I also believe that could be a little bit of him putting on because that is the much more difficult path to try to beat Aljamain Sterling is to engage him in, in wrestling, in grappling, when Dillashaw is such a phenomenal striker. Dillashaw has those things in the middle in his striking that could cause you problems where he throws the high kick off the same side. Mm -hmm. He's moving all about the octagon. He's not a stationary target. So he seems to have those little things, those little details that could cause Aljo problems. But as you said, RC, a champion spirit sometimes needs to be challenged. Right. And if he challenges him in the area in which Aljo feels like he holds the advantage, how do you know it doesn't start to mess with the mentality yeah. of the Aljamain Sterling? But TJ Dillashaw believes, and like you said, all of us, every one of us that have accomplished great yeah. things, we're, we're, we're high thinkers. I think highly of myself, as do you, as do Dillashaw, yeah. as do Sterling. And these two are the two best bantamweights in the world at the moment, and I, another fight, I would have gone or anywhere. You could have said the fight was in Africa. I was going to Africa for this fight card. Yeah, I think I, I think that's what's exciting about this fight, right? It's Aljamain Sterling. I mean, other than I guess the Piotr Jan fight where he had the belt already, his first time truly defending the belt, and to have somebody as accomplished as T.J. Dillashaw and almost D.C. as disrespectful as T.J. Dillashaw is. And I don't mean that he's talking disrespectfully, but it doesn't seem that he truly has a high, a high respect for who Aljamain Sterling is as a fighter. And so when you look at that, D.C., how can that sometimes either play into T.J. Dillashaw going out and dominating because he has the confidence that he's such a better fighter or maybe get him to a place where he's low to sleep and Aljamain Sterling can capitalize and get him on the ground and dominate the way he did similar to Piotr Jan. You know what, you know what that is, though, RC? It's like, think back to this. You guys always beat the Browns, right? So when yep. you played the Browns, while you still took them serious – you know, hey, we're playing the Browns, right? These guys, <laughs> right. their fans wear garbage bags over their face. You know, like they don't <laughs> want to be seen. But here's the deal. T.J. Dillashaw, when he was the man twice, Aljamain mm. Sterling was already in the UFC. Right. He was at the bottom. Like, he wasn't at 
that championship level. So Dillashaw might view him as that same guy, but the reality is he is not. Mm-hmm. He is a champion through and through, and I believe in that last performance, he absolutely showed that. But right. the reality is this. T.J. Dillashaw is what may be the greatest bantamweight of all time. We will see how his career ends, but to this point, him and Dominic Cruz stand above the rest. But they're not the only ones fighting this weekend in the Bantamweight division. Piotr Jan is going to take on Sugar Sean O'Malley. I spoke to Piotr Jan's manager today, Danny Rubenstein. He's one of my friends, and we're talking. And he goes, I'm heading over to Abu Dhabi right now for Piotr's fight. And we're talking about the matchup, and he goes, Sean O'Malley. He goes, DC, tough fight. He goes, but do you think he beat, he, you know, that is the beauty in that fight. That question to me was the beauty. He was like, you think? No. He was like, he knows that he, he doesn't believe he can win. But he goes, we're in this fight with a guy that's number 12. He goes, this, this fight, like, it doesn't seem to them like he has, Sean O'Malley should have a chance. But I believe just in people questioning, does Sean O'Malley have what it takes to beat this guy is what excites people. So I ask you, Ryan Clark, is that what's drawing you in for a kid that seems to be unproven to be fighting a former champion and just walking around with the confidence that O'Malley has? Is DC, that questionable? That little DC, doubt, the bro, reason that you're so intrigued? Bro, it's almost, it's almost like it's it's almost like I'm 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 both nervous and excited, though, right? Like, like, like you're excited <laughs> because if Sean O'Malley is everything that he thinks he is, and some of the things that he's shown yep. us already on Saturday, then it's 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 an explosion, right? Even if he just goes out and shows well, and this fight is close, we think to ourselves, Sean O'Malley's a future champion. He's not ready yet, but he's mm-hmm. on the way, right? But if he goes out and he's dominated by Piotr Jan, where does that leave us with him, right? Like like in what place? And what place are we in? And so it's it's one of those things that if you're if, if he's going to fight somebody of the level of Piotr Jan, you're glad he's not a wrestler, right? You're glad that you feel like Piotr Jan yeah. is going to strike with him and meet him in the place that he is. And that gives him an opportunity and a puncher's chance uh, to be in this fight. But if you talk to Sean O'Malley, he's supposed to be here. Sean O'Malley feel like he earned this fight. And whereas everybody else may feel like this is Dana White privilege and he's been fast-tracked, Piotr Jan wanted to fight. He accepted the fight. And on Sean O'Malley's side, he had to accept it too, DC. This is dangerous, bro. And it is that question that Piotr Jan's manager asked you. And it was basically like this. DC, you don't think there's a possibility we might lose, right? Yeah, he's like, there's no chance. No, he's like, there's no chance. He's like, look, he's like, there's no chance. Because he believes in this guy, right, RC? He knows this yeah. guy's the best. But it's like, why is this guy here? You know what I'm saying? Yes. Like, when you when you have a guy like Piotr, you expect Aljo, you know, you expect Marlon Mar- Marlon Vera, who's number Chito four, Vera, number right, five. Right. But why is this, yeah, why is this dude here? Like, why is Sean O'Malley? DC, you know what it is like? Us? You know but what it's like, DC? It's like when it's like when something yeah. happens or something's presented to you. And you're like, what do they know that I don't know? You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, like, <laughs> they know I something get my friend, I don't know. I, stop. <laughs> I don't want to get my friend fired or nothing like that. I'm just saying, like, he has the utmost belief in his client. Right. He just was like, like, what's he doing here? Like, John O'Malley, at, at, I mean, but Piotr's a, a savage, and he believes he's going to get the job done. But I think what you said 
in that last bit was so telling. It calls back to what you said earlier with Alexa Grasso. You said, if she goes now and she gets beat by Valentina, then what? Right? Then there's, everybody loses faith in what she can become. Sean O'Malley actually does not have, that rule doesn't apply to him. Because yeah. even if he doesn't, he's still going to be Sean O'Malley. And right. there'll be fights he'll win, and all the hype will come right back. But I start to ask myself, can Sean O'Malley really compete at the championship level? Because we haven't really seen a guy that tells you what he's going to do, goes out and does it. But we haven't seen him do that against a guy like Piotr Jan. Because against, in his last fight, against, uh, I don't know, I can't remember. I can't remember the guy's name he fought last time. He was a little bit hesitant to start Sean against o, the number Sean 10 right guy. Uh, Pedro um, Munoz. Pedro Munoz, yes. With Pedro yep. Munoz, he was a bit hesitant to start against the number 10 guy. So what do you expect his approach to be against number one when he's standing in front of Piotr Jan? Well, first off, if, if I'm standing in front of Piotr Jan, my approach is going to be is like, hey, man, where you want to go eat? Because we ain't finna fight. That's, that's, <laughs> hey, hey, that's, the, that's the first thing. Uh, <laughs> I, think when, I think Sean O'Malley does display the ultimate confidence, right? Even, like, we had him on the pivot the morning after that, and we aired it that Tuesday. He, he, he felt like, okay, I was starting to dominate. But the, the necessary, like, the, the, the significant strikes didn't really say it, and it didn't really feel like that in the arena. But to him, he was like, I was finding my range. He wasn't hitting me in my face. He didn't get any body shots. There were some leg kicks, so I was good. And he may start slow like that, but you can't do that against Piotr Jan because here is, here is my thing. He's not going to do what Pedro Munoz did. He's not going to wait on Sean, on Sean O'Malley. He's going to attack. He's going to strike early. We've seen him get up on so many opponents, and especially after Aljamain Sterling dominating early on in the fight. He doesn't want to be in that mm. position again. So if Sean O'Malley thinks it's going to be a first round where I get to measure Piotr Jan for five minutes and not take any damage, I don't believe that's an approach that can work in this fight. And I don't believe it was a lack of confidence that had him hesitant against Pedro. It was figuring out what I need to do to win this fight, how I can measure him. I just don't know if you have that type of time to mm -hmm. assess against a guy like Piotr Jan. Hey, let me ask you this question before we move on. Is Sean O'Malley, um, so Sean O'Malley has not seen a Piorian. Nobody no. at that level. But is Sean O'Malley something that Piorian has seen before, being that Piotr fought Corey Sanhagen? Is Corey Sanhagen mm. a version of Sean O'Malley with the spinning attacks, the same body style, the height, the reach? Do you feel like maybe that is something that's overlooked in the build to this fight, that he fought Sanhagen and he's seen this body before? Yeah, I, th I think that, that he's seen that body type. He's seen someone that height with that sort of length that is a great striker. Also, the other piece of it is him understanding I can also win, right? And, and he's going to think mm -hmm. to himself, Corey Sanhagen is a better version of Sean O'Malley. Co Corey Sanhagen is a tier, a tier below championship level. And so I think that that helps Piotr Jan in preparing for this fight as well. I think, and that's why, and I think that's why they say they t that team at number one takes number 12 because you go, I've seen it before. You, yeah, I've seen it I before. I think about that. Because generally you don't want to fight down 
if you're going to fight someone that is as dangerous as Sean O'Malley. But Sean O'Malley's not the only prospect that is getting an opportunity to propel himself up in the rankings. Sean Brady is mm-hmm. taking on Bilal Muhammad. Sean Brady, who, my word, I forgot his name in the octagon one time, and I have apologized profusely <laughs> because I had a brain fart. I was doing an interview. I'm asking this corner. They won't help me. I, I know who Sean Brady is, but right. like I just had a brain fart. And <laughs> Dana even told me. Dana goes, it happens to me all the time. But uh, <laughs> on national television, how embarrassing. But Brady is taking on Bilal Muhammad. Bilal Muhammad, all he does is win, R.C. Like, people might not find him fun. People might not find him uh, one of those guys that you got to rush to see. But he wins. And last fight, he beat beat Vicente Luque, a guy that everyone thought he would win, he would would lose to. He beat him with a brand-new style. So I asked the question, how big of an opportunity is this for Sean Brady as a 15-0 fighter finally fighting into the top five? Because as you know, we always need new challengers at 170 pounds. DC, I believe this is huge, right? Because if you're Bilal Muhammad, especially after the Vicente Luque win and uh, uh, facing a guy who beat you before and winning in the dominant fashion that he did, he's trying to set himself up for a shot at the, shot at the title. And Sean Brady is one of those, to me, one of those scary opponents, right? It's one of those things where, yeah, Mm -hmm. I'll fight down. But this is a guy that can win, D.C. This is a guy, too, that other than you, everybody knows his name in the UFC. And so if he comes out and he's able to win this fight, propel himself into the top five, I think it is a huge opportunity. But also, D.C., an opportunity that he's prepared for, an opportunity that he's shown us every time he stepped in the octagon, he's ready to take on. And this could truly be one of the best fights on the card that we didn't get to talk about or we haven't talked about until this point because of how stacked this card is. But when you look at at this fight, DC, where does the winner find himself after Saturday night? Well, that's the problem. I mean, everything is is in flux now because of Leon Edwards winning the belt. If Leon Edwards didn't win that championship, the winner of this fight may fight for the belt because Kamar Usman had beaten everybody else. Yeah. So it was like time for new guys. So everything's a bit uh, up in the air now that Leon Edwards is the champion, knowing that Kamar Usman's going to rematch him in an immediate rematch. Here's the beauty in this fight. You have two guys that share similar styles. Brady is a guy that can do everything. But Law also showed in the Luke fight he could do everything and truly yep. fight behind a game plan. Mm-hmm. And when I talk about game plans, I know Bilal has a great team, but he's been in Abu Dhabi for a while now. Habib is going to corner him in the fight. Habib will have his hands full. He's got Abu Bakr. He's got Umar. So that means he's he going to win, right? I'm sorry, he's got Zuba. So that no, means no, he going to win. No, I'm not saying that because, means he's going to win. So because- no, I'm saying, I'm saying that he's doing championship work, RC. Fighting on the same night as a guy that you're in camp with, RC, you're trying to tell me Troy Palomalu didn't elevate your game. You try to tell me that as close as you guys were, it didn't elevate your game. I'm saying that the work that they're all doing together is going to elevate Bilal. I'm not saying that's going to be enough to beat I got Sean, Sean Brady. I about called him Sean O'Malley because you messing with me so damn much. Sean Brady, that's not enough to say he's going to beat Sean Brady. But I believe that he'll be prepared. And after watching a Luke fight, R.C., I know that he can follow a game plan because he had to if he was going to beat Vicente Luque. How does Sean Brady, as the young guy, though, adjust himself to beating someone that has seen the level that Bilal Muhammad has seen? 
Yeah, I, th I think that's the that's the tough thing. That, that this is a fight that, you know, I think they're going to take some feeling out because Bilal Muhammad understands what's on the line. I think Sean Brady gets it too, and he is a step up in competition now, fighting a fighter who's as accomplished, also as experienced as Bilal Muhammad, who's fighting so well. But I think this is one of those fights that we're going to sit back next week and we're going to talk about being one of the highlights of this very stacked card at UFC 280. But speaking of a stacked card, we get a stacked card whenever Leon Edwards decides that he's going to defend this title. And his longtime rival and his two-piece and a biscuit for homeboy had some worries for him about what he should do with his next opponent. Let's check it out. I don't know what's happening right now. Leon's, you know, getting a little cold feet. You know, I don't know what it is. He doesn't want to lose in England again to me. So every time I talk to a reporter or anybody, they're always just talking about this. Why aren't they talking about something else? They're always talking about me against Leon in England. Leon, step up to the plate, bro. You begged and cried and did all this bullshit before when I was fighting for the titles. Now you got the belt, let's go. And I never dodged this f because when I wasn't fighting Leon, I was fighting the guy that had the belt. And then after that, I went and fought the guy that was number one. So if Leon wants it, I'm here, man. But you know, he'd rather be, I don't know, drinking tea, eating fish and chips and shit. I don't know, bro. Here, here is what uh, Leon Edwards say, said. Refer to me as Mr. Edwards or sir, like we do in the boot. And get on your knees and beg, and I may consider it. So, like, when you look at, when you think about Leon Edwards, and I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about him, Jorge Masvidal now said, you begged to fight me when I was fighting for the belt, and then I fought the dude that was number one. So, basically, he was saying, at the time, I was hot, you wasn't good enough. You see what I'm saying? <laughs> and so, here is what I'm saying, if I, here's what I'm saying to Jorge Masvidal, if I'm Leon Edwards. Back then, y'all didn't want me. Now I'm hot, and you all on me, Mike Jones. So when you think about DC, when you're Leon Edwards and you're in this position, do you give Jorge Masvidal this opportunity? Do you allow him to be a part of your stage? Or are you a little petty, like, nah, go fight somebody else before you get a shot at this belt since you ain't going to give me the time of day? RC, let me tell you something. We, uh, we, give, we talk about fighting. And they take our words at times and they just put them out there. Well, the other day, I show up at the Apex. and this I'm, I'm giving this as a foundation before I get to this Jorge Masvidal deal because I imagine at some point this may happen. I get to the Apex the other day. My son's wrestling in Vegas. I'm going to drop him off to go watch some fights with some of his teammates. As I'm walking into the arena, I guess Nate Diaz was leaving. He was in his car. So when Daniel and I got out of the car, Nate Diaz and all his guys came up to me and he goes, Hamza beat me in a wrestling match. He wouldn't have beat me in a fight. But he was smiling. But I think Nate was coming at me about what I said on the show. Because you remember for a while, he had threw a little shade at me on Twitter. But he was nice, you know, said hi to the kids and everything. I imagine the same thing will happen when we see Jorge Masvidal. Because the reality is exactly what you said. When you were the man, you gave this dude no time of day. Yep. And I can't imagine that if he would have won the belt, he wouldn't have given him the time of day because he didn't feel like he was good enough to fight him. Otherwise, they would have paid that whole thing off long time ago because that was a fight that was like, it was, it was, it was out there. It was delivered on a platter. You hit him behind stage. You guys are yeah. supposed to fight each other now. But it didn't happen. So to think that Leon Edwards would do it now is not I don't I don't really know what to make of it because 
It just makes no sense. There's no logic behind Leon Edwards going, you know what? I want to fight the guy that's lost uh, three fights in a row for my first right. title defense in my hometown. It just doesn't make any sense logically. And I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what Masvidal's – Leon answered him. So I guess that's something, right? So maybe it's working. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's one of those things. Leon has to have some sort of, 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 of thorn in his side about – the relationship between those two people, mm-hmm. but between himself and Jorge Masvidal, but now he's the champ, right? Like, like now he gets to make the decision. Now his name is on the marquee. He's fighting on the A side. If it's not Jorge Masvidal, though, DC, which I think would still be a big fight because people would want to see him at he least would. destroy Jorge Masvidal if he had the opportunity. Who do you think Leon Edwards' first title defense should be against? Well, it has to be Kamar Usman, RC. It has to. I mean, because of the way the fight was playing out, like, you and I were there. Like, you cannot win in that way with that dramatic knockout, even though when everybody thought you were losing, and then move on. Mm-hmm. It's got to be mm-hmm. an immediate rematch, especially with what Usman had done to that point. Right. He's got to right. fight Usman. Now, unless Usman gets hurt, now... Masvidal should stay ready because there is a world in which they're scheduled. Uh, Kamaru gets hurt. Edwards doesn't have an opponent for England. And they do with Masvidal what they did the very first time he got a title shot against Kamaru Usman. Right. He wasn't supposed to. Fight. You remember when he first blew up RC? He's like on the plane with the pizza, flying, yeah. stopping <laughs> yeah. Italy, yeah. had pizza before he went to. Yeah, so it's like you got to hope for something like that if you're uh, – Jorge Masvidal, because there really isn't any world for him to earn a title fight right now. I think he should fight somebody else, and I think it should be Gilbert Burns. Because if you beat Gilbert Burns, that's another big win. Now maybe we can start talking about you deserve a title fight. I agree. And listen, for me, uh, it's a fight I'd watch, I'm going to be honest, but I also watch all the fights. And so this is on Leon Edwards (laughs) getting an opportunity to pick his first title defense and actually wanting it to be epic as he fights in his hometown. But you know what time it is, DC. We've been rolling pretty good, but when we get going, we got to get Jake on the the guy mic. Corporate Jake, what we got? Tap in or tap out? Guys, last week, Charles Oliveira posted videos of himself walking, choking out a full-grown lion. This less than a week out from his title fight in Abu Dhabi. So, DC, tap in or tap out strolling around with a lion? I tap out because I'm scared of it. I, I would never do that. I mean, but that lion hair yellow like Charles Oliveira's hair. Look at how Dubronx walking too, right? Like, we saw, when we saw Dubronx in Vegas, I was like, oh, this dude strolled like a champ now. Yeah. He's a big dude. But, he is but, big, man. But I tell you this. Love Dubronx. Love him with the, the that, that old thing. But... ARC, Duke Bronx will not be on an episode of Step and Fly with them pants with the smiley face on the knees and stuff yeah, that like that. It. You that ain't, ain't Step and Fly with them pants like that. That, 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 that. That's some championship jeans. You can only wear those when you about to be the champion again. But I definitely tap out on this. I don't really like dogs like talking about, bro, because I feel like dogs can't tell me when they mad at me. Like, Humans, they're like, hey, man, I'm going to punch you in the face, and I know you're going to punch me in the face. A dog just bites you. So what the hell a lion going to do? I'm not hanging. I just watched that movie Beast with Idris Elba, and he fought the lion. I'm not fighting the lion. Is it good? Is it good? It was actually pretty good. It's kind of far-fetched, though, because he does fight the lion in hand-to-hand combat. (laughs) Corporate Jake, what we got? 
Over the weekend, both Caleb Plant and Deontay Wilder won their respective matches via vicious KOs. RC, tap in or tap out, Plant's KO was more decisive than Wilder's. Ooh, I tap in. I tap in that it was more decisive. Like Deontay's, like Deontay's punch was one of those punches that you was like, oh, wow, like that knocked him out? Whereas Caleb Plant's, he said, like, he was like, the, the, the war, he put, like, the war is greater than the buildup or whatever, and that finish was definitely greater than the buildup. I go with Caleb's knockout over Deontay's. I, I do. I tap in. Caleb Plant's knockout was, was big, better. Because Deontay Wilder throws punches at odd angles at times. So yeah. when they land, it doesn't seem like they should do the damage that they do. Exactly. But the way Caleb Plant turned into that left, he he turned into that left hook so nasty, it landed clean. And the dude fell flat on his back. It was it was it was Caleb Plant, man. Look at DC, that. That's a, he DC, went body shot you, left left hook up top. That's how you draw it up, DC. You actually coach yeah, what sure. Caleb Plant did. He did everything perfectly. All right, guys, the infamous, oh, the infamous Hasbula announced last week that he has signed a contract with the UFC. He Ooh. said details will be revealed by the end of the year. DC, mm. tap in or tap out on this mm. UFC-Hasbula partnership. Mm. Mm. I love the Hasbula partnership. Look at that right hand, though. He liked to punch with the front of his hand. He, hey, RC, he got power, too. He got me in the jaw hey, one see? time. I was like, this dude, <laughs> he liked to turn on them punches, man. Hey, he got me in the jaw one time. He hit pretty hard, too. Hey, I tap in on this just because I believe dude is entertaining as hell. And so whatever he's a part of, I'm willing to watch it. So I hope he does something that we can all enjoy. All right, guys, finally, the rematch between Yuri Prohaska and Glover Teixeira for the light heavyweight title looks to be set for the final pay-per-view of 2022. However, as of now, it is not listed as the main event. So, RC, tap in or tap out on our own Daniel Cormier coming out of retirement to face John Jones for the interim heavyweight title as the main event. I tap all the way out on that. I'm so out on that. Listen, hey, there's a point in life, Corporate Jake, where we become husbands and dads. And when you get into that point of life where it is not just about the fact that I'm a fighter or a football player and a husband and a dad, it's the fact that I'm just a husband and a dad. That's it. And that's where DC is in life. That's where I am in life. My dog has accomplished everything he needed to accomplish. I tap all the way out on him going back to fight. And I love doing the show with him. I well, tap. Are we going to do the show from his fight camp? I mean, sheesh. <laughs> RC, tap. Out. Look, hey, listen, RC, when you realize you can make money without tackling people and getting punched in the face, it's a whole new world, ain't it? It's hey, like, well, I can make this all money without yeah. actually fighting. Like, I ain't got to go back and fight, man. Get out of here, man. I'd rather go referee some WWF or whatever. <laughs> I was in WWE. I'd rather go referee and do all kind of other stuff, man. Let's go, man. No way. Look no at way, that RC. belly. You look terrible in that uniform, by the way. Ugh. Oh, RC, look at Hey, oh, Ugh. my God. His ball didn't look like ball looked like he been spending two years on the golf course. Hey, you look like a dad. Like that's a dad bod, bro. You need to get a mini. Carl man. Winslow. Carl, Carl Winslow. Hey, Carl Winslow. When they call you Carl Winslow, that's your funny as hell, dog. Hey, Carl. Hey, Carl Winslow was in Die Hard too. He was the cop in the first Die Hard. Is Die Hard a Christmas he was, movie? He was. DC is Die Hard a Christmas movie? Dude, it's not. No, it's, it's not. not. I hate that people think that. It's not a Why Christmas. do people say Die Hard's a Christmas movie? Hey. Home Alone is a Christmas movie. Home Alone is a Christmas movie. Home Alone Guys. is a Christmas. 
Home Alone is a Christmas movie, and, and that one from back in the day, uh, The Miracle or whatever, in 1930 with the ghosts and the yes. dude dies. And I can't remember yes. the name of the. That's a Christmas movie. It's a Wonderful <laughs> Life. Sorry. It's a Wonderful Life is a Christmas movie, not Die Hard. Guys, every Tuesday, YouTube, ESPN2 at Eastern, Midnight Eastern now. Catch DC and RC as we discuss Christmas movies, Halloween, The Pivot, everything else that we're doing, NFL Safe travels, Live. my guy. I'm kind of mad because, hey, you're being a little arrogant since touchscreen Tuesdays. So touch I'm starting Tuesdays, to thumb crazy. down every touchscreen. It's fire. It's fire. It's fire. I'm just hating. Touchscreen. Touch hey, it's like detail on drugs. It's really crazy. <laughs> we enjoy it. <laughs> Hey, we love y'all. Keep tapping in, man. We appreciate the support. Y'all be good. <laughs>